we're going to dig in. We're going to listen. If you hear something that, that challenges you, if it stretches you, you're going to listen and go, okay, Lord, why is, does this make me feel this way? All right, let's get started. In the early uh, 1900s, there was a, a black preacher whose name was William Seymour. And in 1906, he was so desperate to learn more about the Holy Spirit that he moved from Cincinnati, Ohio, down to Houston. And he, he went there because there was a Bible school that had started that was specializing in talking about uh, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, because of the uh, racial atmosphere in 1906, he was not allowed to officially uh, be a part of the school. In fact, he was not even allowed to sit in the classroom. But what they did allow him to do was sit outside the door, and they left the door open so he could hear what was going on. Now, that's somebody that's desperate to hear something, right? Uh, after he'd been there uh, just over a month, he got an invitation to come out to uh, Los Angeles and pastor a church out there. Now, the leadership of the school that he was attending didn't think that he was qualified and didn't think that he was ready to go, but Seymour went anyway. And because he had such a passion to connect with the Holy Spirit, he was so hungry to see God move in amazing ways that the Lord met him right where he was in this dirty, run-down, old it had been a livery stable on Azusa Street down in downtown Los Angeles. That God came in such a powerful way that people from all over the globe, actually thousands of people over time, came to be a part of his meetings, including the leadership from the school in Houston. And it always makes me wonder... Had there not been such, such a, a racist, such an ugly spirit, such a, a, a hateful way of thinking about things, could one of the greatest uh, outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the last century have happened in Houston instead of Los Angeles? Where the leadership from the school in Houston had to go out and receive from the man that they said wasn't qualified. We are in a lesson series called We've Got Spirit. We started it on uh, Pentecost Sunday just talking about the, the moving and the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And then last week we moved into contrasting the uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit with the work of the enemy. We talked last week about uh, the Holy Spirit versus a religious spirit, a religious mindset. And this morning, we are going to talk about the, the work of the Holy Spirit versus a spirit of racism. And lest you think that this is just a knee-jerk reaction to the things that are going on in our country right now, we put this 
lesson series, and we put this sermon on the calendar back in January. God tricked me into this. Because back in January, I was really looking forward to it. I was already thinking of, 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 of how I would come around. And, and I just like to poke at things. You know, you just poke a little bit. Just, you know, you know get, get somebody's attention. It's kind of like poking something with a stick, you know. Just, hey, hey, hey. And then you tell them a funny story and they forgot that you just offended them. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that I preach. I was thinking, you know, hey, I, I, would, I would give some examples to, to let everybody understand that racism is still alive and well in, in our nation. And all of a sudden, I don't have to give stories and illustrations. It's everywhere we look. It's hitting us right in the face. God knew this, this time was coming. And he knew that we needed, as a church, to, to dive into some things together. Maybe like you, you know, I, I say, if I just stop and say, hey, everybody in here that hates racism, raise your hand. I would think just about everybody would raise their hand, right? I mean, if, if you didn't raise your hand, we would all be looking at you like there's something really wrong with this person over there. But we say things like, I, I hate racism. But is it that we hate racism or that we just have a distaste for racism? Because I remember the, the, the story of the, the first George Bush when he was, when he was president. When he was president, the, the media found out that, that uh, he hated broccoli. He disliked broccoli. And they were always badgering him about it. And I remember seeing this, this, uh, this, this newscast where, where reporters were asking him about broccoli. And he stopped and he goes, okay, come on. I hate broccoli. Let's stop talking about broccoli. I hate it. And even as like a 22-year-old kid at the time, I'm thinking, you don't hate broccoli. You have a distaste for broccoli. Because if you hated broccoli, you would do everything that you could do to get somebody else to not eat broccoli. And being the president of the United States, you could just command that we're not growing broccoli, we're not selling broccoli, nobody in this country is eating broccoli, right? So when we begin to talk about these things and, and we go, oh, I hate racism, do we really? Do we really hate racism or do we just have a distaste for it? Because if we really hate it as the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to do something about it. We're not just going to go, yeah, I hate, oh, I don't like when that happens. I don't like what this person said. No, we're going to do something about it. All right? So you may be like me. You've, uh, uh, my inbox has been full of just tons of, of emails from every organization that, that I'm connected with. And, you know, they send things and they're saying, like, we're going to be a part of the solution. And my first thought is, why weren't you a part of the solution three weeks ago? Why are you a part of the solution now? We should have been a part of the solution the whole time. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm glad people are saying that they want to be a part of the solution. I even got, got an email from a company that, that writes sermons. They, they put together sermon series and lessons, and they sell them. 
And I got, uh, I got this email that said, um, lead your congregation through a, an honest discussion on racism. Here's three lessons that you can preach on racism only, $79.99 or something like that. And I was like, are you kidding me? People are already trying to turn this into something for profit? Are you kidding me? But I bought one, and that's what I want to give you this morning. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just want to say for everybody to hear and everybody to understand, and everybody's on the other side of that camera right there, if you're sitting at home, black lives have always mattered at NCC. You hear that? And speaking out against prejudice of our society has been so heavy on my heart for many years. I am glad, and, and, and I'm sorry if, if this hurts your feelings. If you're, if you're a real NASCAR fan and not having the Confederate flag is just tearing you up, I am so sorry, but I am so glad that finally happened. I've been preaching against the Confederate flag for about 25 years because it is a symbol of hurt and hate. It is not just, oh, that's my heritage. I mean, if we're flying a, a Nazi flag, is somebody going to go, oh, that's just my heritage? No. It hurts people. So therefore, let it go. All right? Somebody's already mad at me. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but here's the thing, that we know that racism isn't going to go away just because of protests or laws or policy changes. Those are good things. And we should have some, some policy changes. But racism is only going to go away when we start looking at our own hearts. When we start dealing with our own heart, the only way to see racism, racism destroyed is by having a broken heart for our fellow human beings. We can legislate injustice, which we should. I mean, I want to be real honest with you. It is a terrible shame that we're even having to have this conversation in 2020. When did the Civil War end? When was civil rights going on? And here we are still having this conversation. It's a shame. We can legislate some things. But here's, here's the truth. Racism will always live in a sinful world. And we live in a sinful world world. It may not be as out there as we've seen it in the past. It may be trying to hide a little bit more, but it's there. And if you think I'm wrong, if you think that, that uh, oh, everybody's going to just come together and we're going to have a kumbaya moment and everybody's going to love everybody in this broken and fallen world, let me tell you about an article that I read just last week about the mis- Hitler competition that happened in England. Miss Hitler competition. Now, that wasn't for ugly girls that looked like Hitler. That was a neo-Nazi, a neo-Nazi competition out in the open. Advertising. See, racism will live in a sinful world, but where it cannot live is in the church of Jesus Christ. And the only, the only way that we're going to see things change is when we rally around the cross. 
All right. Gracism is a demonic spirit. It's also a mindset that's influenced and encouraged by the enemy to bring division. Division. So this morning, we, we could spend weeks talking about this, but this morning we're not going to be talking just about, uh, uh, about the, the social needs or the political divides. We're strictly going to focus on the spiritual battle because it is a spiritual battle. So let's look at a couple of ways that the, the spirit of racism operates and how the Holy Spirit overcomes it. All right, number one, racism divides, the Holy Spirit unites. Racism divides, the Holy Spirit unites. In 1712, there was a plantation owner, and he was a slave owner, and his name was either William Lynch or Wilson Lynch. I'm not really sure. I saw that two different ways in two different things that I was reading, uh, getting ready for this, this message. But whatever his name was, Lynch. So this man named Lynch, a slave owner, has a, he gets other slave owners together, and they're all afraid that there's going to be uh, an uprising. So he, he gives this speech, and he tells them, I've got the answer to a slave revolt. We're going to break up all the families, and we're going to sell them all off to different plantations. There's not going to be mamas and daddies and babies and kids all together. We're going to sell them off. We're going to break them up, and we're going to crush, crush any familial understanding in their hearts. And he said this. He said, with this policy in place, it will destroy the fabric of black families and communities for several hundred years. What a demonic prophecy. What a work of the enemy. And I, I tell you that story. I know it's a rough story, but just to illustrate the demonic spirit of racism's plan to divide using fear. Because at its very core, racism operates by fear and insecurity. Afraid of those who are different, that I don't understand, or that I can't control. I'm afraid of the stereotype of you. And because of that, I will separate myself from you. If I separate myself from you, guess what? You're always just going to be the stereotype of you. And if all I ever see is the stereotype, and I never see people as individuals, all I ever see is the stereotype, I'm going to fail to see people, and then I will fail to serve people. And when we serve people, they know that they matter. And people desperately need to know that they matter. In Isaiah 58, verses 5 and 6, if you go read this, it's going to be a lot longer than what I read. I'm just pulling out a few things here. It says, you humble yourself. This, this is God speaking a word of prophecy through Isaiah. 
It says, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance. Is this what you call fasting? See, they had to fast. There were certain days that they had to fast. There were certain things that they had to do. Do you really think this will please the Lord? So what God is actually saying is stop just going through the religious motions. They may have been good things, but if you think just going through the religious motions is all that it's going to take, you're missing the point. Well, I read my Bible, I pray, and I go to church. Well, pat yourself on the back. I'm glad you do. But you know what? If those three things do not spur you to do something beyond yourself, to reach out to people, what good is your prayer and your Bible reading and your church going doing? Finishing the scripture. It says, no, this is the kind of fast I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. If the things that we're doing, if the religious activities that we're doing do not cause us to remove chains, we've missed the point. And we're missing God. And we're just playing church. But that's not who we are, right? The cure for fear and division is unity. Psalms 133 equates unity to the anointing. And Matthew 18 says that when we're in unity, it brings in the presence of Jesus. But unity only works through love. Unity only works through love. And I'm not talking about this churchy love where you go, I love you. I love you. I love you. If our love does not cause us to step out, if our love does not cause us to be stretched, if our love does not cause us to do something for somebody who could never pay us back, is it really love? Colossians 3, 4 says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is what causes us to stick together, even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when I don't understand, even when it seems like we're thinking a little bit differently. Love causes us to stick together. It's the bonding agent that causes us to stay together. But without trust, there's no love. Therefore, no unity. You cannot love what you do not trust. Let me say that again. You cannot love what you do not trust. Don't say, I love everybody. I love all the races. Do you trust them? We can't love if we don't trust. And fear tears down the trust that would make unity possible. 
Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this needs to be our prayer because the only chance to destroy the fear that racism feeds on is through the power of the Holy Spirit, which brings hope, which brings joy, which brings peace. There's no, there's no fear in those. There is no fear in peace. There is no fear in joy. There is no fear in hope. So we need the Holy Spirit to come and bring us hope so we can trust each other. And we can begin to see this division that's among us. And I'm talking about in the church. In the church, the church should be on the front side of this. You hear me? The church of Jesus Christ should be on the front side of this issue, not on the back side trying to figure out what we're doing. We should be leading out here. I mean, we, we should be so good at race relations and unity. When things go wrong, the world has to go, hey, what's the church doing? Because they get it right. But we haven't been there. But we can get there. All right, number two. Racism fights diversity. The Holy Spirit glories in diversity. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that the most uh, segregated hour in America is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. A spirit of racism fights diversity because the enemy believes the Bible more than we do. And he knows the power of the gospel to destroy ancient prejudices and dividing lines. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. And all... Who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Doesn't that sound good? Putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. Now, notice he didn't say that you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a male and a female. It's obvious. He didn't say you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between somebody of one race and another race. Right? What he said is in the kingdom, it's not going to make any difference because we are all on the same playing field now. We're on level ground now. And also notice... The three things that Paul attacked, racism, classism, and sexism, it's the same junk we're dealing with today, but the gospel has already dealt with it. So it's time for the church to be who we've been created to be. We have got the answer. No racial division, no class division, no gender division, because we're all equal in the kingdom. 
So whereas racism fights against diversity, the Holy Spirit glories in diversity. On the day that the church was born, the Holy Spirit destroyed the racial division. So the church, from its very first moment, would be multi-ethnic. We see in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came in on the day of Pentecost. It says that people from every nation. Now I'm going to use that word their nation a few times before we get finished. But what I need you to understand is that when he says every nation, he's not necessarily talking just about a geographical border. The word nation is ethnos. That's the Greek word, ethnos. So what he's saying is that people from all ethnicities were there. The first time that the gospel was preached, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, all ethnicities were there, and 3,000 people got saved. People will get saved when we stop dividing. And this fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus repeats in Mark 13, 17. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all ethnos, all ethnicities. Jesus said, I'm not having a church just with one kind of person in it. I'm having a church with everybody in it. The book of Acts is a record of the real church. A church full of men and women from many nations and ethnic backgrounds continuing the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you wonder why the enemy attacks with a spirit of racism. He doesn't want the church reconnecting with the power of unity that kicked his butt in the book of Acts. Why don't we see miracles? Why don't we see this? Why don't we have unity? When we have unity and there's not this division, we're not going to have to worry about seeing the Holy Spirit move. All right. So the result of unity and diversity is healing for the nations, healing for the, the ethnos, the ethnicities. In Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, says, The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations, to heal the ethnic divides. Down in verse 17, it says the Spirit, and that's a big S, so it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? We're the bride. We are the bride of Christ. So when the bride is connected to the Holy Spirit and doing what we're supposed to be doing, we will say, come, let everyone, everyone, 
everyone who hears this, come. The life of God is flowing, and the fruit of that life is healing for all ethnicities. For every conceivable way that humans can divide and define themselves. But too bad, it's in heaven. What a shame, it's in heaven. One of these days, we'll all be in heaven. Some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. No, thank God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to see the healing of the nations, the healing of the ethnos. We already have it. We just need to pull it out of heaven. We just need to be, be prayer warriors that pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we teach these things, and we teach it because we believe it. But you know what? We're only going to reproduce what we are. If, isn't, if it's not real inside of us, we can say amen, we can, we, can, we can nod our heads, we can take lots of notes, we can do all kinds of things. But we're only going to reproduce what we are. So we have got to be the people of God. If we don't fight for unity and diversity, we will miss the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the nations. Our nation. I know there's a lot of things wrong with America, but there's a lot of good things in America, too. You know what one of the good things about America is? We're all a bunch of mutts. We're just mixed up and thrown together, and it's awesome. There are about 198 nations in this world, and every one of them is represented in the United States. That's unique. So when we begin to read things like, like uh, healing for the nations, that should really stir inside of us because we have an opportunity that other countries may not have because we really have the nations. If we don't build trust by loving our brother and sister, which will require hanging out with people different from us, even supporting them when we don't fully understand, the mistrust and division will just continue. We've got to intentionally pull things down. Because you know what? You've got something I can learn, and I've got something you can learn, and we can do it together. In Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples to make Disciples of every nation, of every ethnos, of every ethnicity, not just those who think like, look like, act like, dress like they do. 
or even completely value what they value. Jesus fully accepted people right where they were. He loved them. He saw people that were overlooked and devalued, and he dealt with them at their deepest need. Trust, love, and self-worth. And as a Christ follower, I want to see people that way. I want to see people that way. I want to stand with people rather than separating from people. I want to try to understand and listen instead of allowing the stereotype to push me away. Now, in with this story. I read this this week. The blog came into my, my, my inbox, and it's one of those ones that you read, and, and, and I just cried. I, just, I, I am a, the biggest crybaby. I am. I really am. I, I cry, and I, I cried at this, this story. A white pastor was leading a multiracial gathering, and in that meeting, and this is a true story, in, in that meeting, a black pastor who pastored a, a large inner city urban church from a, from a very large city came in, and they were having open discussion, and the black pastor made a comment about worship, actually, and, and the white pastor made a comment back. It wasn't necessarily a, a bad comment. He just said, well, you know, that's not necessarily completely true, and here's some reasons why. But the black pastor felt absolutely overlooked. He felt like he had been disregarded. He felt insulted. And he got up and he walked out. And it, it kind of stung the, the white pastor. Why did this man get up? We were just having a discussion. And he took it to prayer. And the Lord began to reveal to him what was going on. And I want to read the, the quote uh, the white pastor says, the question wasn't who was right on the issue. The question was whether I regarded him as an equal brother. And in that, I failed miserably. And I had to make it right. So this pastor lived three hours away from the, from the inner city pastor. And after he preached on a Sunday morning, he got in his car and he drove three hours so he could be at that black pastor's church that night. And he sat in on their service. And he said, I learned more sitting in on that service. Why? Because it was the first time he'd ever been in a black church. And after the service, he invited the, the pastor and his wife out for dinner and he he apologized. I'm sorry that I, I, I came across so dismissive with what you had to say. Will you, will you forgive me? And there was forgiveness and there was grace, so much so that these two men, they, they created a, a strong friendship. And over the years, they, they would talk on the phone. He would call for advice. They, you know, they would call each other. And then after several years, the white pastor and his wife happened to be in the, the big city. And the black pastor and his wife said, you're not staying in a hotel. You're going to come stay with us. And it was time to go to bed. The black pastor said, we've got you and your wife set up in our bedroom. 
We want you to sleep in there. And of course, they said, no, 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 no. We'll be fine in the guest room. And the black pastor said, no. I need you to sleep in my bed because it's going to help destroy some racial prejudices in my life. Do you see how being willing to see what the other one sees, being willing to admit when we're wrong, how it brought healing to both of them. And racial stereotypes and racial prejudices were just being destroyed by two men of God. Loving, honoring, respecting, and trusting one another. So where do we go from here? In 1906, the Azusa Street Revival ushered in a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. It was not led by a famous preacher, a rich preacher, or a white preacher. It was led by a poor black preacher that nobody had ever heard of. With everything that's going on in our nation, it may, you may look and say, oh, wow, things are just going to hell in a handbasket. But I believe our nation is ripe for revival. There are some injustices that need to be reckoned with. There are some things that need to be dealt with. But the enemy's plan is to continue to divide us. But the Holy Spirit's going, I smell revival. And I believe there's a revival coming. You know, this weekend is Juneteenth. If you're not familiar with Juneteenth, you need to learn some history. Because Juneteenth is the, the day that the, the last slaves were finally told that they were free. You know where that happened? In the state of Texas. Slavery in Texas was the last place that it fell. But let's let this be the first place that revival starts. Let's move, let's move beyond our stereotypes. Let's get into some unity. I know there's hurt out there, and there's conversations that need to be had, and there's things that need to be said. Yes, absolutely. I'm not saying, let's, oh, let's just, let's just wipe it all clean and act like it never happened. No, there's some things that need to be talked about. There's some things that need to be said. Let's start in the church. Let's say it in the church. Let's let healing start in the church. Let unity start in the church. Let trust start in the church. And then let the world watch what God can do when we don't allow ourselves to be divided. Amen? All right.